So today is the last of this uh, series of lessons on Elisha or Elijah and Elisha. Can finish this up, and uh, I'm going to begin in chapter 13 and uh, pick it up in verse number 14. And then we'll have a word of prayer. Verse 14, the Bible says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hand upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote them thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha, and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and he stood up on his feet. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless. Now our Bible study this morning, speak to our hearts by your word and by you, Holy Spirit. Just draw each of us closer to you. As always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy and for your grace. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. So bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. So we spent these last several months dealing with these two great prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And in the New Testament, these two prophets are mentioned more than any of the other prophets of the Old Testament. But as we finish up in Elisha's life, we're going to learn some things about this faithful man of God, um, as he breathes his last breath here in this world and goes to be with the Lord. So on your handout, just the introduction, if you will, the ministry of Elisha comes to an end with this last proclamation by the prophet of God himself. So Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face. And he visits him where he was lying ill of this mortal sickness and expressed, expressed deep sorrow not from the personal respect he bore for the prophet, but for the incalculable loss his death would occasion to the kingdom. Let me just stop there for a minute. So you need to understand something here. So uh, during this particular time in the history of Israel, there's two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. We've talked about that. Um, he is ministering in the northern kingdom. These are all wicked kings. So this king that comes and weeps over him as he's dying, it's not because this king was some great spiritual man and loved the Lord. In fact, this king, he was an, an idol worshiper. 
But he understood the importance of Elisha. He understood that, that God had blessed the nation uh, and would bless the nation because of the man of God. Um, I was, as, as I was reading this, you know, I like to read books about history. And um, I re remember reading about Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin probably was not a believer. At best, he was probably a deist. But he was good friends with George Whitfield, who was one of, uh, used of God to preach revivals uh, at that particular time in America. But to the best of my knowledge, everything I've read about Benjamin Franklin and his personal life, he was a pretty immoral man. Um, and, um, but he recognized, he liked to hear Whitfield preach. And uh, in those days, Whitfield would come to cities and he'd preach that the, the mainline churches, they wouldn't have Whitfield. They just thought he was, um, he was too out there. But God used him to bring a great awakening to the nation. And uh, Benjamin Franklin would go and hear him preach. And Benjamin Franklin recognized something different about Whitfield. And again, I haven't read a lot, but a little bit that I've read about it is, is, is they were friends, personal friends. But best of my knowledge, Franklin never, Benjamin Franklin never became a born-again believer in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyhow, this, the kings of, uh, in the day here, uh, this king um, that came and wept over him. Again, he wept over him, not because Joash, not because he was a, a believer in the one true living God, but he recognized the value. Uh, he did, I guess you could say he had a respect for Elisha, but not in a spiritual sense. So having said that, let me just read the last couple of sentences of the, my introduction. So good men, when they come to die, are often honored by those who have rejected their living testimony. And bad as Joash was, he knew that Elisha was the only defense of the country, and therefore he wept at the prospect of his loss. So another verse in this, the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So that's what God's looking for in all generations. He's just looking for people to stand for the things of God. And um, looking for men and women to stand in the gap and to be used of God in any way uh, that God would have them to be used. Now in Elisha's instance, Elisha was, he was a well-known prophet. But down through history, and we'll see some of that, this in the Bible study this morning, there have been many faithful men and faithful women who are not well-known. They're well-known to God, but they're not well-known publicly, like Elisha was, or, or Elijah would be, or, or some of the great uh, men of the past that uh, we often mention. Um, but they still, nonetheless, are just faithful, and, and not necessarily preachers or missionaries, just men and women who are faithful to the things of God, raising godly home, families, and, and uh, so on and so forth. So... But we're zeroing in this morning on this man, Elisha. So we learned some things about him here. First of all, he was, uh, our first point, he was a faithful prophet. In verse 14, read it again. It says this, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. Well, let me just stop there too, because there's a, there's a, here's kind of a side note. So sometimes there are some people who believe that sickness is always caused, is, or people get sick because of sin in their lives. In fact, there's a whole 
charismatic movement that believes that, and that uh, um, that you can um, th that there's some kind of sin, and, th and that sin has to be um, dealt with, and and so on and so forth. Or people should never, should, when they get sick, there's some, listen, Elisha was a man of God. He was a great man of God. And the reality is people grow old and their bodies begin to fail and you die. And um, that's just the nature, that's, that's what happens in the world in which we live. Some people live longer than others. Some people, some people, well, I, sometimes we don't understand why God does what God does and why Lives are taken. When I was away, some of you uh, that have been here for a long time, maybe, and I think probably Pastor Ethan might have mentioned this, but about the time I was called into the ministry, there was another family in the church, the Grillone family, and, and Fran was called into the ministry. And just a week and a half ago, unfortunately, his granddaughter was killed in a car wreck. And um, that was... A tragic thing, and why? Why? Why does God allow those things? Well, I, I can't always give you an answer why God allows it, except for the fact that we live in a sinful world, and um, in a fallen world. And one day there will be a world where none of that ever happens, and that'll be a great world. Amen. But Elisha here, he was a man of God, and he got sick, and he died, and and that happens sometimes. Um, now he was an old man by the time that he died. Uh, and, and you'll see that in a minute. But he was a faithful prophet. He lived long. It had been 60 years since he was called into ministry. 60 years of serving the Lord. And that ought to be our desire, that when we are called of the Lord, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, that we live a life, and at the end of our lives, we can look back and say, well, I've served the Lord all of this time. Sixty years he was used, and he came, Elijah, or Elisha, you'll see in a few minutes too, we're reminded, he came from a wealthy family. He could, have had a, he could have lived a life of ease, but he put his life on the line for the things of God, and he, and he left that behind. Paul wrote to Timothy, and Paul said this, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And those are great words to live by, that we all just fight the good fight as we live here in this world. And um, God's got a course. God's got a path for all of us. And, uh, but the important thing is, while we run this race, that we, keep, that we just keep the faith. Some years ago, I read this statistic. It was kind of alarming. That only one in ten pastors make it to retirement. Not that they die, they leave the ministry. One in ten. Oh, that's, that's a, not a good statistic. And uh, I can tell you, I know men who have left the ministry for one reason or another. And it may be because someone really wasn't called of God. But when God calls a man into ministry, he calls him into ministry for life. Um, and you just fight the good fight and are used of God. But all of us, all of us have been called to do something for the Lord, just like Elisha was called. In 1 Corinthians on your handout, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. You know, we live, 
obviously in New England. The famous race in New England is the Boston Marathon. And um, I forget how many miles of marathon is. It's 20-something miles. Anybody know? 26 miles. And so to run 26 miles, I, I just like, oh, that's a lot of how do you, That's a lot of running, 26 miles. And uh, in the Boston, my, my, my daughter, Hannah, uh, and my son-in-law, Lane, they run marathons. I don't know if they've ever run the, a 26-mile marathon. They do like 5K, 10K, those kinds of things. And, and I have a good friend, uh, the fellow who we get our maple syrup from, Bruce Patterson, who's done the Boston Marathon a couple of times. There's, that, there's a spot in the Boston Marathon called the Heartbreak Hill. And uh, that often divides, <laughs> if you hit that hill after so many miles and you've got to run up that hill, they call it the Heartbreak Hill because obviously it's, it's tough. And in life, this race that we've all been called, just like Elisha was called to run this race, there are heartbreaks that come our way. And I just mentioned my friend Fran there and, uh, and Valerie who are in the ministry and to lose a granddaughter tragically. What happened, if Ethan didn't tell, anybody, tell you, was a, in the middle of a day, a guy stole a car. And so the owners of the car called and uh, the police came and the guy took off. He had a criminal record. It was unbelievable how this guy could even be out of prison, except for that's the world we live in today. And he went the wrong way on a one-way. And these two kids, about, I think they're about to graduate from high school, uh, Fran's, Fran's granddaughter and her boyfriend were killed instantly. And I've been praying for Fran and Valerie. That could turn anyone bitter. And as they serve the Lord, you think, Phew, God, what's going on here? I mean, we've given our life to serve you, and you allow this to happen. So there's heartbreaks that we face in life, and they're hard sometimes, but God promises to get us through these heartbreaks. And uh, he, never, he, he never said, as Christians, we wouldn't face heartbreak. And Elisha and Elijah, they, they faced these things as, as they went through this struggle. But he was faithful for 60 years. He was faithful. And, um, and that's a great blessing. And his loyalty... Um, it, it had said, again, in verse, in verse number uh, 20, and Elisha died. Now, in our study here, because uh, I haven't been with you the last couple of weeks, from, from, from where Ethan was with you last week in 2 Kings until we are today, there's now been a 45-year gap. So in other words, the Bible doesn't record anything that happened in Elisha's life for 45 years. Everything that's recorded in his life was previous to that. And so we, we, we don't know what was happening in Elisha's life for these 45 years, except that he was faithfully serving God. So what's recorded is the previous years and everybody the things that we've studied about his life. But that doesn't mean for the next 45 years in which where the Bible is silent, he wasn't faithful to God as well. Because obviously we saw this king who comes to him and weeps over him knowing that, that this is not a good thing, that we're going to lose Elisha. And so there's not only the, the longevity of his ministry, but there's a real loyalty to the things of God. And, um, and that's a blessing. Um, I think it's on the back of your handout, if you look there. Jesus said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. So let me ask you this question as we, we look at this. So in, in chapter 13 and verse, verse 14, I think it was, right? Verse 14, it said that Elisha died. He was taken sick. Or he, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. But let me ask you, uh, here's a question. When did Elisha really die? Yes. No, he did die. He physically, he, he, this, yeah, Elijah now did not die. The previous prophet, he did not die. He was taken, he's only one of two people in the Bible that the Bible records did not die. But when did he die? When did he really die? You're close. Anybody else? Well, Jim. Yes, the, the both of you are not wrong in, in respect to that. But with regards to his ministry, and uh, take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. In verse 19. Now just to kind of bring us up to speed here. So at this particular time, Elijah the prophet is alive. And um, Elijah is told of God to find and bring Elisha under his ministry and that Elisha, Elisha would succeed him in his ministry. Uh, interestingly enough, Elisha's ministry was, I think, three times as long as Elijah's ministry. So, Verse 19, so he departed thence and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh and the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And then he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. Now, I can't go over all this again because this was a whole lesson another time. But the fact that he could take a, the oxen were his. The only, way, the only way they could be his is because he took a, a pair of them, he killed them and he fed everyone and he offered a, like a sacrifice up to God. And so to have 12 yoke of oxen meant he must have come from a pretty well-to-do family. And um, that's why I said earlier, he could have lived a much easier life. At this particular time, you got Jezebel and Ahab. They're trying to kill Elijah. So he's not only leaving that particular comfortable lifestyle, but he's putting his life in danger at this time. So that's why I'm just kind of, it's kind of a play on words. When did he really die uh, to self? And, and, and as far as people, when they get saved, 
There is a sense that you die to self, but when God is calling you, and Jesus said, take up thy cross and follow me, that's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to die to ourselves, to our own wants, our own desires. Uh, missionaries who go to the mission field. Like, uh, one of my favorite missionary stories is of William Borden. He was a student, I think, at Yale. And he was called to go to Egypt. To, um, he felt led to go to Egypt and uh, to minister to people who were involved in, with Islam. And his classmates at Yale told him, this is kind of near the beginning of the missionary movement. There's been different missionary movements in America. They said, you're crazy. You're throwing your life away. But God, he was so burdened to go. He didn't care. And um, he wanted to translate scripture from uh, English into Arabic so that Arabic-speaking people could have the, the languages. Well, he died. He, I think he was in his early 20s when he died. I'm not even sure he got to Egypt, but he died. Um, but we're still, still we're, we're, he just sold out for the things of God. Another guy, Charles D. Studd, was a cricket player, also a college guy, wealthy family. He spent his whole life on the mission field. He went to, uh, he was in India, Africa, and um, I think he died in China. No, no, I got that backwards. Uh, I think he went to China, to India, and then he died in Africa. When he came home from, I think it was India, the doctors told him, you got to stop this. You got a weak heart. You're going to die. You need to come home. He went to Africa, and I think he spent another 40 years there, and then he died to serve in the Lord. So in Elisha's life, and, and what you and I need to learn to do as believers, we just need to die to self. God calls us to, God calls us to serve him. And Elisha, that day, that day back here, 60 years ago from where we started this morning, 60 years ago, God called him into the ministry. And for 60 years, he served the Lord. Um, 40 years of it in pretty much in obscurity. And, but he just served, he just served the Lord. So again, on your handout, Jesus said this, no man can serve two masters. He'll hate the one, he'll love the other, or he'll hold to the one, he'll despise the other. And you cannot serve God and man. And you have to decide in life who you're going to serve. And so Elisha back then, he decided, well, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve the Lord. And he became, he became the second man to Elijah and just served Elijah until Elijah died. But then you can go back to our text in, in 2 Kings. So he was a faithful prophet. He served for a long time. He was loyal right to the end. Um, but there were some faithful promises. And Elisha lived a life of just trusting God's promises. And so in verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, And Elisha said unto him, Take, a, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hand and said, Open the windows eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians and Aphek till thou consume them. So God had given Elisha a commission 
And he's trying to teach Joash, the king, something here. So you tell me, what is he trying to, what is, what is he, so you understand what's happened. He said, go to bow and arrow, and so the king gets a bow and an arrow. And Elisha, we don't, I don't, there's nothing in the scriptures that says he was any great bowsman. But Joash, the king, would have been a bowsman because he was a soldier. So he says, take the bow and, and get the arrow. And then Elisha puts his hands upon the bow and on the arrow and upon Joash's hand. And, um, and he says, shoot the arrow. And so Elisha's trying to, he's using a, an illustration here. He's trying to teach the king something. The king hasn't got, spiritually speaking, all of these years, he hasn't gotten much out of Elisha, and he's not going to get much out of him here either. He's going to miss the point. So what was the point that, you tell me, what was the point that Elisha is trying to make on his deathbed? Anybody know? He needs to put his faith in God. He's, that, that's the whole idea of the Lord's deliverance here. So somebody else was saying something. Who was that? Huh? Obedience to the, thing of, the things of God. Yeah, so picture that in your mind. There's Elisha. He's got enough strength. And he puts his hands on the king's hand. And he says, go ahead, pull the bow back. He pulls the bow back and let the arrow fly. And at the end of verse 17, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The arrow of deliverance from Syria Syria was their, their mortal enemy. They were always battling Syria. But there's promises that God gives us. Like, for instance, one of the great promises when you accept Jesus as your Savior is, Jesus said, I promise never to leave you nor to forsake you. So take my friends, the Grillones. They're going through a tough time. And their daughter, Katie, is going through a tough time. She lost her daughter. But God's promise never to leave us nor to forsake us. And uh, while we go through the heartache and the sorrow of what this world brings, God's promise to help us get through each and every sorrow, each and every difficulty. These are the promises of God. God had placed a commission on Elijah's life. Again, look on your handout. Elijah said to Elisha, so this goes back in time when Elijah's still alive. And so Elijah says to Elisha, well, before I, before I leave you, Elisha, what, what shall I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He says, I want to match your ministry, but twice as much. And interestingly enough, if you study the miracles that are found in Elisha's life, there are twice as many miracles that are recorded in the Bible of Elisha as they are of Elijah. And, and, and the length of his ministry. And so these are promises. And God's made promises to you and I. Again, in 1 Kings on your handout, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins. And he ran before Ahab to ent entrance of Jezreel. The, the point of that verse is the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Just as the hand of the prophet is on the king. God's, God desires that his hand would be on all of our lives, guiding us and directing us. But you know what? God doesn't force himself. It's not going to make you follow him. You have to decide that you're going to follow him. You have to decide that you're going to put him first. You have to decide. Because God's not going to, you know, you're not a robot. You know, God's not going to just pre-program you to do your thing. 
to do his thing. God gave us free will to make choices and decisions. And we have to decide. Uh, we have to be sensitive to the leading and to the wooing of God's spirit in our lives. But God's placed a commission on each of our lives, just as he did on Elisha. And then we can have confidence in God. Now, let me ask you this. Let's read verses 18 and 19 again. So the king, it says, he takes the arrow and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And so the king there, he takes these arrows and he smites three times and he stops. And the man of God was wroth with him. Elisha is upset with him. Why do you think Elisha is upset? But that's true. But why? Why would you think? To who know why? He's just following what the king said. Or, excuse me, what the prophet Elisha said to do. He didn't say stop. There seems to be like a lack of enthusiasm here with the king. Almost as if the king, he does what he's told to do. All right, let's go back to what happened with, you remember Naaman, he was the Syrian general, and he came and he had leprosy. And uh, when, they, when he was told to go into the Jordan River, and he was told to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, what was, the, what was Naaman's reaction to that? Syria. I go home, there's cleaner or better rivers than this. So the king here is told to take these arrows and to strike them on the ground. And so he, he kind of, in my mind, it's kind of like, all right, this is what he wants me to do. In other words, he doesn't really, he doesn't have a, he doesn't seem to have, he understands the importance of Elisha, but he doesn't really put a lot of confidence always in what Elijah has to say. And he certainly didn't do it spiritually because he's not a godly man. So he takes the arrows and he kind of, like probably in, in my mind, yeah, he taps them on the ground three times. And, and, and Elisha had just told him, listen, you're worried when I'm gone, what's going to happen when the Syrians come in? And you've recognized that I have, because of my prayer to God, the nation's been delivered time and time again. And I'm trying to show you that even after I'm gone, that, that, that God will deliver you from the Syrians. And so he says, take the arrows and smite the ground. And so in verse 19, he says, you should have smitten the ground five or six times. The Syrians keep coming back over again and over again and over again. Now he says, all right. God will give you victory over the Syrians three times. So here's the point of this. First of all, our confidence in the things of God. Do we sometimes, we know the promises of God, do we sometimes look at the promises of God and have the same attitude that the king had? Eh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, how about in our prayer life? When we go and we pray and we bring our requests before the Lord, do we have confidence that God's going to hear them and answer them? Do we have that confidence? Do we put that confidence to the test? 
quote here by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, unbelief in the, with regards to this text, it robbed Israel of great victories. If our faith can shoot many arrows by asking great things of God, expecting great things from God and attempting great things for God, we shall see mighty marvels. But want of faith stints the blessing. We win but thrice when we might go forth conquering and to conquer. In other words, when there's little faith, that's often, a, that's often a result of we're just lacking confidence or we're not putting what God says into practice. Do you want to say something? Right. The king's got the king here has a lack of it. <laughs> right. So in our personal walk with the Lord, it's easy to do the easy things for Jesus. It's when he asks us to do the more difficult things. When he asks us to, to you know, place our faith in him, for instance, where our finances are. Oh, that's a little bit more difficult. Or he asks us to put our faith in him when it comes to sharing our faith with those that are around us. Well, that's the more difficult part of it. Do we have confidence in the promises of God? And so this king didn't have confidence. And then as we finish up, because we're out of time, verses 20 and 21, it says this, and Elisha dies. So Elisha dies. And they buried him. And so now the Moabites invade the land, not the Syrians. Uh, but here's an interesting thing that happens in verse 21. It came to pass as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. So I'm not exactly sure. Uh, so th there's where they're burying Elisha, and um, there's a man who dies, and for some reason they see this other band of men, and so they want to take this body of this man, and they want to... Uh, dispose of it, so they put it down to where Elijah's laying. And this is a great miracle in the Bible. Even, even Elisha, the dead bones of Elisha, are filled with the presence of God. And Eli this man comes back to life. That must have been quite a sight, amen? <laughs> but as I, I read this, so we read and we've studied the testimony of Elijah and Elisha all of these weeks. And obviously each of them each of them had a living testimony while they were alive. Um, so on your handout there, Philippians 1.20, uh, Paul would say this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether in life or death. So here's a reality. Unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, we're all going to die. That's not a pleasant thought, is it? But we're all going to die someday. So for me personally, as I watch my grandchildren, uh, the little ones now, Gideon's a teenager, for me personally, the mo one of the great motivating factors in my life as their grandfather is that I run my race right to the very end. I would hate for my grandchildren at some point to say, to their parents, what happened to grandpa? You know, he served the Lord all of those years and then something happened. Why did he stop serving the Lord? 
Or if you have nieces and nephews, what happened to so Because let's face it, children see what's going on around them. And um, this, this generation needs to see. I, I was at my grandson's little league game yesterday, and a, a young man who came to this church many, many, many years ago uh, is on the same, his, his son's on the same team as Aaron's, Maddie's team. And he, so he, he, he came up and he, and he said hi to me, and, and he has three boys, and now he's been thinking about spiritual things and thinking about coming to church and I, to be honest with you, it felt good. Oh, Pastor Malachi, it's good to see you. You know, like I'm the old guy now. And, and, but that's okay. That's okay. I would hate for this community to know that all of these years, whoever you are, that you serve the Lord, but all of a sudden something happened and you just stopped. And I guess it's not so much primarily, now that I think about it, it's not so much primarily for my grandchildren. You know, it's primarily for because Jesus died and paid for my sins. But whether in life or whether in death, we can serve God. And just to be faithful, just to be faithful. And God uses, uses that. You know, I've told this story before about the famous missionary who ministered to the Indians in, in South County, to, uh, Brainerd, David Brainerd had all of these names written in his Bible that he's praying for people to come to know Jesus. And he died in his 20s of tuberculosis, ministering to the Indians. And someone went back and found all of these people. And after he died, every single one of them accepted Christ as their Savior. And, and we're still talking about David Brainerd. He's got a testimony even today. And so it's important that we stay faithful. I'll finish with this story about faithfulness. I... We, Shelley and I, on our way to Pensacola, stopped in Augusta, uh, North Augusta, South Carolina. And we visited some of some old friends. Some of you who have been around for a while will remember this name, Terry and Jan Jones. And Terry was a dear, dear friend of mine. Shelley and I, early before I was in the ministry, helped them to move to Quebec, Canada to go to language school and went to Quebec with them, got them settled in there and... Uh, help them out financially at that particular time. And over the years, we became friends. They served the Lord as missionaries in the Ivory Coast, started churches there. Then Terry and his family came home and, and started a church in Florida, and, or took a church in Florida. And, um, and now he's, he's 10 years older than I am. And he's had some health issues. But they had three children, Brian, Christina, and Jonathan. And Christina has always faithfully served the Lord Jonathan and Brian, not so. And, um, but they told this really neat story. Jonathan now, he, he lives with them now. Jonathan is traveling. He's out of the military. He's traveling out in the Midwest somewhere in his truck. He got into the, he now owns like three or four businesses. But he started in the trucking business. And he's listening to the radio. I don't even know if people listen to the radio any longer. And he hears a gospel preacher come on. And he's, here he is. All his life he's heard the gospel. His parents are missionaries, faithfully serving. Sisters, faithfully serving. And there he's driving across the country, and he hears this gospel preacher on the radio. And the Holy Spirit gets a hold of his heart. And right then and there, he commits his life to Christ. I'm thinking, the radio, <laughs> it's 2023, the radio. 
And uh, I, I never listen to the radio except every now and then to listen to NPR, uh, only to find out what these people are thinking. <laughs> and, uh, but I tell you that because his mom and his dad, faith, they were faithful. They were faithful. They were faithful. Just stay faithful. You never know how God's going to work. Just stay faithful. And now they're praying for their other son, Brian, as well, and uh, to, to give his life to Christ. So you, know, you don't know. We have a living testimony, but the reality is, as we finish up one day, just like we're all going to go the way of Elisha. So what about the next generation? You know, like, I, don't, I met my grandfather, Stephen, when I was a little boy. The only remembrance, I don't have any remembrance of him, actually, except they have a picture of him. He pastored two little churches in the Newark, New Jersey area. And I don't know anything else about him. But I know that he was faithful. He got saved at the um, Hudson Street Baptist Church in a revival meeting. A Russian evangelist was, came to America and was preaching there, and that's where he got saved, as a drunkard. Gave his life to Christ. Served his, and then many of his children faithfully served the Lord, including my dad. He still has a living testimony. We all have a living testimony. We all have a dying testimony. Stay faithful to the things of God, just like Elisha stayed faithful to the things of God. Father, bless now the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.